you have your Bibles, you can begin to find the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 58. I'm going to be reading a number of passages from Isaiah 58 as we get started this first Sunday of 2010. It is a good time for us to set the tone of the year. It is a great time to uh, fast and to pray and to set things spiritually right. As I mentioned during the announcement time, uh, this is our third year of corporate fasting. And it's something we should have been doing since the inception of Legacy. And we did on occasion, but not really corporately or even organized it corporately. But uh, this is the third year that we have done so church-wide. And I just believe it's, you know, I'm not big on tradition, but I think that's there's some good traditions. Um, you know, traditionalism is what usually gets us in trouble. You know, there are traditions like the Lord's Supper and obviously baptism. These things are certainly good and should be practiced. And fasting is one of those things I think is a, is a good tradition as well. If Jesus fasted and if the disciples fasted and if Paul fasted, then how much greater should you and I enter into a fast? And like last year, I'm going to uh, spring off the fast to teach these next several weeks on several things, I believe them to be uh, prophetic in nature. When I say prophetic, I mean to be the heart of God, to be relevant, uh, hopefully to be revelation to us as we just take over our bodies, as we exercise dominion over our bodies in order that we might hear the voice of the Lord. And uh, I, I've already said this as well, you can catch up on iTunes, on the website, and uh, use these tools that we have in order for you to stay in touch. Um, this morning I want to talk to you on what I've entitled Fasting for the Vision. Fasting for the Vision. And I want to read to you, just bear with me, I'm going to read to you a lengthy portion of Scripture in Isaiah 58. But it's about fasting. And it almost is self-explanatory. You can almost teach or preach or expound on it just by reading through it. But listen... In Isaiah 58, because the Lord is going to talk to us what it means to fast. Beginning with verse 3, Isaiah 58, this is what we read. Why have we fasted, they say, and you, meaning the Lord, have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? I'm going to stop there for just a moment because the people in Isaiah's time, he's speaking rhetorically at this point. He He's prophesying, but he's prophesying really the spirit of the people. Because in the people of Israel at that particular time, you need to realize they were, they were practicing religious rituals. And they were fasting. And the people were, were saying things, and if I could put it in a modern vernacular, it would be like they were saying, we're fasting here, God, but it's not producing any results. Come on now, I cut out my cheeseburger. But I'm not, I'm not seeing you fill my bank account with millions. 
Come on, I, 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 I know that I'm, I'm sacrificing before you because, because I cut Brussels sprouts out of my, out of my, my dieting menu here. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm giving you Brussels sprouts. Come on, why aren't you, why aren't you moving in my life? We don't, we don't see the results that we thought we were going to see. You're not, you're, you're not seeming to pay attention, God. Isn't that the point of all of this? Isn't the point of fasting that we're just wanting to get God's attention so He'll just do more good stuff in our life? Well, let's read on. It says in verse 6, and we begin to hear the voice of the Lord. It says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry. And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked that you cover him. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then verse 8. Your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. How many of you enjoy it when God works fast in your life? I mean, if I have a choice as to whether I want God to be slow or fast, I like things fast. And he says here, he says, if you'll do the fast that he chooses, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If, again, he puts a condition out. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in draught, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Whenever I read Isaiah 58, I always, I always think about American Christianity. I think about how through the years we've developed our own sort of angle, our own sort of mentality or perspective on religion and relationship with God. You know, in America, we have a unique feature of our spirituality, which is unlike other nations and, and, and Christianity as it's seen in, in third world nations especially. In America, we seem to think that we're the center of the universe. In America, we tend to believe that God is there in order to make our lives much, much better. In fact, it's, it's really all about us. And, and we need jolted at times into that understanding that it's not about us. It's about Him. And it's about His plan. And it's about His purposes. And not just what we can do in order to make my life more livable, more convenient, more nice, whatever it may be, it's not just about that. In fact, the Lord says here, He says that 
that Israel during this particular time would fast. And in their fast, it was all about finding pleasure. That's what he says here. He says, he says, when you fast in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. It was self-serving. If I'm going to enter into this fast, then I'm going to, I want something out of it. It says they were fasting for their selfish desires. They wanted all the things that, that they wanted. And even while they do it, the scripture tells us here, it says that, that they fast for strife and debate and they strike with the fist of wickedness. You may not understand what that means is, but what it means is, is that they're fasting and they're fussy and they're angry with each other and they're, and they're just irritated and they're getting on each other's nerves. They're hard to live with. And he says, you're fasting and you want to see my hand move, but this is what you're presenting to me. Now, that's why I looked at you earlier and I said, if you don't want to fast, don't do it. Because the worst thing you can do is fast and fuss. God will look at it and say, you can, you can abstain from all the Brussels sprouts you want. Or cheeseburgers or Cokes. You could skip a meal. You could do the Daniel fast. You could be meticulous in the Daniel fast. And it won't mean a thing unless you enter into it his way. It's not about just you being comfortable and I got to do this. I mean, I mean, if, if you want to see God move in your life and it's all about make it as easy as possible, you signed up for the wrong Christianity. But the Lord says in verse 4, he says, don't think fasting like that will make your voice heard before me or before the world. He says, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. You see, the tragedy, I believe, of the American church, and just to be perfectly honest, we're an American church. I'm not speaking to them, I'm speaking to us too. And the tragedy of Christianity in America is we are seen but not heard. We are tolerated but not desired. We are respectfully endured but not frantically sought after. Even as individual believers, you know this to be true, all of you here, you'll begin to share your faith. And in the era we live in, as you share your faith, many if not most of the times we are patronized by our family and friends. We, 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 we share things of the Lord and our co-workers and our employers and our friends. You know, they just ignore us. They don't take us seriously. People nod their heads condescendingly or, or maybe they'll, they'll patiently endure whatever it is we want to share and then they'll roll their eyes. And, and then somehow or another they, they're offended when we start to share or say something that could be a possible answer or a solution to a problem that they're facing. In fact, when people look at the church in our current era, most folks think that somehow we're out of touch with where they're really living. I mean, we're just a bunch of old school religious relics, sort of like dinosaurs who have just fossilized and are clueless to the ways of the world, and we're especially clueless as to what they're facing. You see, we have lost our clout as believers. We've lost our clout as the church. We've lost our authority. We've lost our power. And it was never God's intent for his people or his church to be marginalized. You see, he calls us, I'm just going to remind you of some things. 
Jesus calls us the light of the world. I mean, we're the city on a hill which cannot be hidden. We are the dispellers of darkness. We're the raisers of foundations. We're the repairs of the breach. We're the restorers of the streets to dwell in. The scripture tells us that it is his people who are trees of righteousness. We are the planting of the Lord. We are the ones who are to rebuild the ancient ruins. We are the repairs of the ruined cities. We are, according to the scripture, the light that drives away deep darkness. Yes, even gross darkness. We are the ones that as the light arises, that kings gather in procession, the Bible tells us, lest the scripture says they perish. They will perish without us. I am, you are, we are together a part of the church. We're not a little social club that prays. We are the church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. See, that's that's who we are. That's who we're designed to be. Jesus is the head over this thing. And I'm here to declare that the church is the only hope for the world. I'm not resting my hope in Washington, D.C. Or in Columbia, South Carolina. Or in the marketplaces. Or all the corporations. Let me tell you, my hope is in nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Some of you think I just got anointed with that sort of rap. That's an old hymn. All the young people are going, dude, pastor's got that rap thing going there, man. That's a hymn. Every now and then, man, that anointing will come back and all that stuff comes out. But you know, as believers, we're, we're, we're treated a, a lot like a little child. We're, 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 we're seen, but not to be heard. We go to the workplace, and, and they can know that we're people of faith, but just don't say too much about it. And what we do, and what we have done, is that we fooled ourselves, even as believers, we fooled ourselves into thinking that somehow, somehow, if we just get enough of us, and we change enough laws, and we vote in the right people, and we get who we need in places of power, that political clout will change it. No, it will not. Rubbing shoulders with the media and celebrities or business moguls, if we, if we just, if we just had favor with, with celebrities and, and, the, and, the, and the, the media, the television, the radio, if we could just, if we could just get some high rollers, you know, if we could just get some people like that. Oh, we could begin to change things. No, we will not. We can fast and we can pray and we will change the world. We will open the heavens and we will begin to see God restore power and authority and revelation back to us. I want to remind you, the early church had none of the things we think are important, but they turned the world up side down you see when the church says we're going to fast 
See, when we, when we make an announcement and we say, you know what, we're entering into 21 days and as a church, we're going to fast and we're going to pray and we're going to seek God, that ought to send a chill through the halls of earthly power. When the church says we're going to fast and we're going to pray, there ought to be something in hell that gets rattled. But the truth is, the American church can barely raise a goose bump, much less the dead. The Holy Spirit is saying, it is time to raise up the foundations of many generations. It is time to build up the old waste places. It is time to repair the breach. It is time to restore the streets to dwell in. Folks, I'm a law and order kind of guy, but we can hire all the policemen we can afford, but it won't change the human heart. Here at Legacy... In fact, for probably what now has been five years, we've been doing what I call the vision process. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you that are relatively new may not know or understand our terminology in this regard. But about five years ago, we just believe the Lord began to share with us that we needed to intentionalize the way we were going to make disciples. The Great Commission doesn't say, go ye therefore into all the world and collect decisions. It doesn't say that. Go read Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again. Read it really carefully. It doesn't say, go ye therefore into all the world and collect decisions. Now, decisions are important. Don't misunderstand that a decision is the starting place for a person who wants to be a disciple. So you got to make a decision. But interestingly, Jesus never said he was the goal. He said he was the door. I believe this. I believe that when you come to Jesus, it is the moment things get started. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So, But for most of us, we think the goal is getting them saved. The goal is not just getting them saved. The goal is getting them to be a functioning disciple. We're not going to change the world with, with the folks that run to altars, cry their tears, sign the card, shake the hand, and go back and live any old way they want to live. That is not going to change the world. There's got to be, there's got to be a heart transformation change that takes place in people's lives. Now, I understand, I understand, believe me, I, I got theology 101, and it's this. Jesus takes you just as you are, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I mean, I got the hymn down. He'll take you just like you are. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. You can be this morning in this place, the most dysfunctional, out of order, desperate, bottom of the barrel. I mean, I mean, you, you can, you can, you can say to yourself, I am the worst and I got good news. You don't have to change one thing. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. I don't, and just say, I don't want this anymore and I'm willing to take the trip. And He will meet you right where you are. And He will walk with you. And He will translate you from darkness into life, from death into life. And, and we just determined that there has to be a way, an intentional way of helping people do this. So, so, we have what we call the vision process. And the vision process encompasses several things. Guys, just go ahead. Number one is an encounter weekend. And what an encounter weekend is, is when you just set aside three days, really. It's a Friday night, 
Saturday till about five. And then, of course, you'll be here on Sunday morning. You know, in three days, it's amazing what God can do in three days. If I were to look at you and, and, and I were to ask this question, if I could tell you that in three days, your life for the rest of your life would be dramatically different, would it be worth that three day investment? I believe it would be. And in three days, we have a weekend. It's right here. Nothing weird or spooky. But what we do is, is, is not only do we invite people to come to the cross, but Encounter Weekend is really helping people move through the cross. You see, a lot of folks come to the cross for forgiveness. That's a wonderful thing. But when you move through the cross, the cross begins to do the work that it was designed to do. This is good news. That's why Jesus called this good news. The good news is not only can you be forgiven, you can be set free. You can be cleansed. You can be changed. That's the power of the cross working in our life. And Encounter Weekend is really just a set of, of instructions and ministry that takes place. Most of it you do yourself. We help lead you through this. But in order to bring you to a place or a beginning place of freedom and wholeness and uh, deliverance. You know, just because you get saved doesn't mean you killed the devil, does it? In fact, sometimes you get saved and you solicit all sorts of attention from him i'm just telling you the truth i mean i mean we we believe in truth and advertising here that's why i tell you come to jesus and and initially your life may get tough but ultimately your life is going to be great it's whether or not you're willing to press through the challenges to get to the great but encounter weekend helps you do that so that's what we do and then guys after that we, we have what we call journey classes it follows up on that weekend and it begins to sow into you what what it is you need to do to begin to walk these things out because christianity is more than a a, a slap and a buzz and a hearty high oh silver I mean, you need some ongoing input into your life that helps you follow up on the commitments that you've just made. We want you to succeed in this thing. And Journey helps put those initial foundational things. I think there's five classes. And then discovery classes. Now this is when it's interesting because as folks go through the process, a lot of times this is where it gets a little tentative and kind of tough. Because discovery classes are actually three trimesters and under each trimester there's 10 classes that's 30 classes oh omg <laughs> what's so funny is in the 21st century everybody knows what i'm doing of course if, if if you're a little older they're going omg what's in the world that's that's text talk right there omg 30 classes 30 classes let me let me share this with you i learned this just over my years of dealing with charismatic people, they'll just believe anything. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you, but just, just, I've just learned that if it gets taught or preached, everybody just goes, and they suck it down like garbage disposals. And I've come to learn that you can't, you can't get to relevant life until you have some foundational things in place. If you don't understand how faith works, you can't walk in faith. So discovery classes talk about what faith is. People today don't understand what grace is. They think grace is God winking at you saying you're excused. That's what they think grace means. They live like they want to live and they go, I'm under grace, I'm under grace. 
Oh, isn't grace good? And their lives are disasters. But they're under grace. Little good that does them, aside from the fact they think God's just absolving them from whatever it is they're in. Grace is not just about excusing you. Grace is empowering you. He says, though I am weak, I am strong. How am I strong? Because His grace is sufficient for me. It empowers me to live victoriously. But if these things don't get put into your system, you'll never know. And that's why, do you know what the greatest heartache for a pastor is? Is when people have come to the altars and they make decisions and they really are sincere and they're genuine. They, 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 they're serious about this and they begin to live for the Lord. And it could take a couple weeks, maybe a month, maybe, maybe several months. But then they'll look at me and they'll say something like this. It just doesn't seem to be working. And the reason things aren't working is because they've never been taught how to implement not just, not just his forgiveness, but the ways of God. Do you understand that if we don't have sound doctrine, and doctrine doesn't bore you, doctrine is what you build your life on. I can tell you right now that the reason, the reason there is at least some semblance of stability in the Baird household is because we have come to terms with what sound doctrine is. Yeah, sure it is. When you believe there's a real heaven and a real hell, that might affect how you live tomorrow. That's called sound doctrine, see? So discovery begins to put that into place. Now, after discovery comes what we call consecrate classes. Now, this is just a set of 10 classes. So think about that. If that's a weekend, 5, 35, we're up to 45 classes. OMG again. Exclamation point, three. How many of you know that the devil hasn't caused all your problems? <laughs> you think the devil's your biggest problem. No, uh-uh. Your biggest problem is the person you look at every morning when you go into the bathroom and you stare. You say, it's my husband, it's my wife. No, it's the one you're looking at in the mirror. I know some of you are going, I knew they were my biggest problem. I knew it, I, I knew it. If I could just get them fixed, my life would be perfect. No, it's you. Because we were born with this thing called carnality. Flesh, sinful desire. There's this thing inside of all of us that's constantly pulling us over to the dark side. Remember what Yoda said? Dark side, very powerful, Luke. He was right. Very powerful. It pulls. It pulls us that direction. So how do you keep from going to the dark side? Galatians 2.20. You've got to die to your sinful desires. The Bible talks about being crucified with Christ. I know we don't talk about this stuff, but we go back to the cross. Because it's not just coming to the cross for forgiveness. It's not just going through the cross for freedom and deliverance. But there comes a moment you got to get on the cross to get free from that which is pulling you in a direction that's causing you to be continually dysfunctional. I know what you're saying. Tell me how I do that. Come to consecrate class. You see, you want it like that. And God's trying to get you to drop your net and to follow Him. Say, so that's got to be the end. Oh, no. 
no, 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 no. We used to call this school of leaders, and I came to realize, and, and, and no offense, but not everyone is a leader. But everybody can be involved in the ministry. Everybody here can be a laborer in the harvest and a worker in the ministry. Everybody can be. And so, so you need training as to how the ministry works out. And you would be amazed how many folks think that after just, you know, hey, you know, I've been saved 30 days and I've been, you know, to a class or two and I'm ready to go, let me loose. And there's probably some places that it let you loose. Just been my experience that sometimes those folk are worse than any six devils you could let loose in things. Say, well, how long's the school of ministry? Like, like a month? No! Three trimesters, ten classes each. One weekend, five, thirty-five, forty-five, seventy-five. Seventy-five? Seventy-five? You're kidding. Well, the good news is that's it for the vision process. But <laughs> Listen, I, I was telling new members class this morning. Listen, you can fake things for three months. I think a really good faker goes about six months. But after about six months, the fake tends to, tends to be, you know, exhausted. You know, you meet people and you'll think they're one way, but you hang around them for, you know, 90 days, get up there to six months, and, and pretty soon you're going to see what they're really all about. And, and so we've intentionally designed things to go a little bit longer because the Bible says that we're to know those who labor among us. I can't know you in, in really in 30 days. And through the years, uh, and let me just say, for new believers, this, this is, should be self-evident. If you're, if you're relatively new in the faith, even a new believer, you could automatically see how if you began to work through that vision process, that that would begin. In fact, I believe that if you'll do the 75, which is almost a year and a half, that you, I have seen people go through the vision process in a year and a half that are more mature and that I would go to battle with before some people that I know have been walking with the Lord three and four decades. You, you've, heard me, you've heard me say this before. There are some people, I, I remember one time I was hiring for a position years ago, and a guy gave me a resume, and, and on this resume he had about 15 different places that he had worked, and each one he'd worked at a year or two years. And, and so at the end of it he said he had 30 years experience. And I remember looking at him and he said, I got 30 years experience. And I said, how do I know you've got 30 years experience or you don't have two years experience 15 times? Because you see, there are some things you don't get unless you press through. There are some people, they get to a two-year point and they quit. They get to this wall and they quit. And then they do it again to a wall and they quit. And they do it to the wall and they quit. And then they've done that for 40 years and they think they've got 40 years experience. No, you don't. you got two years experience. 40 times. And that's why some people who stand up saying how mature they are in the faith are babies. Because they haven't won some battles and they haven't pressed through some emotions and their attitudes are no better than the little, little bitty babies that are just being born into the kingdom. And I can see people who have gone through a year and a half and I would much rather release the ministry and go to battle with a year and a half old Christian than some who've been in it for decades. Why is that? It's because they keep learning but never able to come to the truth. But these are able to establish a foundation. 
Is it the only way? No, it's not the only way. There are churches doing lots of great things out there. It's our way of doing these things. It's called the vision process. And in 2009, I will be the first one to admit, we've been doing this now for about five years. And I'll just fess up. I was exhausted. I mean, I mean, you cast devils out for five years and that'll exhaust you. You labor with people in a meaningful way and that will exhaust you. I'm, that's, that's not bad. It's just reality. Isn't that right? Some of you connect leaders. I mean, you walk with people, you input people, you pray with people. You, you, and I mean, it can be an exhausting thing. And so uh, we took a rather lengthy break in 2009. But here it's 2010 and the Lord said, get with it. So we're up and we're at it again. Doing what God has called us to do, which literally, I believe, is outlined here in Isaiah 58. We encourage people. Now, we, we don't force anybody to go through this process. You're not going to be forced to do Nobody's forced to do this. In fact, if you just like to come and worship and fellowship with us, hear the word preached and taught, you're welcome to be here. We love you and want you to be here. So I don't want to say anything that could potentially alienate, as if I'm not known for alienating anybody. But that being said, we, we, we would want you to fellowship because we're, we're happy to meet you with where you are on the journey. I'm just simply saying that God has called us to intentionalize how we're going to make disciples. You see, I believe this is about world changing. I believe this is about nation changing. In fact, several years ago, we had a prophet come through. His name was Jim Rawlings. And I, I like Jim. He's a, he's a neat guy. And, and he prophesied some just amazingly accurate things and, and some amazingly uh, focused things. We often refer back to the word he spoke over us. But one of the things that he said in that prophetic word that he declared, I'll never forget that night, was that he was tearing out, at that time, he was tearing out the foundations in order to build new ones because we'd not dug deep enough. He said, you thought you were building on a mountain, but you're actually building in a swamp. And I didn't get it at the moment, but as, as time has unfolded, I'm getting it. That we've got to dig deep in fact, we need to redig some of the ancient wells and get dug again into the things that have stood the test of time. Listen, God's not calling us to be trendy. He's calling us to be deep. Deep calls unto deep, the scripture says. Let me tell you, it's not the latest technology, although I've got no problem with technology. I love it to be a tool to communicate. But it's not about that. It's about the things like fasting and praying and seeking God and praying through and getting into His Word and living it out in our life and connecting the dots and doing the things that make for success. It may not be trendy, but this has stood thousands of years. And he said that we were going to redig these things, and indeed we did. When we began to implement the vision, we began to redig into people's lives. There were people who just, he, they couldn't understand what the, the, necess, the necessity of all this was. And we love them, and God bless them, and, and they didn't make this particular journey. It doesn't mean they're bad, or it doesn't mean they're evil. It just means they couldn't make the journey. Because, you see, we've been taught... We've been taught in American Christianity that we can transfer credits. Yeah, we do. Listen to me. Listen. We believe that if we serve 10 years down the road at a church and that we want to go to a new church, 
that it's kind of like how the university works. We just transfer our credits from church A to church B. I don't transfer credits. Why, why not, pastor? Don't you believe in the broader body? Well, sure, I believe in the broader body, and I believe that God's called them to a vision. But you see, what you got out of those ten years was their vision, their DNA, their perspective, their spirit, and that's good. But you need to get our vision and our DNA and our perspective and what God's doing here. you got to get that in your system, in your spirit. That's what unity means. Unity, unity in most people's mind is let's just all get together for a big meeting and we'll all sink to the lowest common denominator. That's not what unity is in my mind. Unity is let's, let's, let's surround a vision and let's embrace it and let's be passionate about it. And let's go for it. And God will do more through just a couple hundred people than he'll do through several thousand people. When they've got a vision. You see, he's not looking for just what's big. He took Gideon down from 32,000 to 300. He rebuked David when David was considering his army and he began to census Israel. The Bible literally says Satan moved on David to count the people. Now don't, again, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I'd, I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to pastor a mega church because I keep thinking, of opportunity and missions and possibility and influence. I, I, believe me, I, I, I've got a vision that, well, what, what could you do if you had passion in several thousand people like that? But the truth of the matter is, whether that happens or not, does not negate that this says, if any two agree on earth as touching it in heaven, it shall be done. So, as long as Trace agrees with me, nothing can stop me. And if... Two can send, was it one can send a thousand and two ten thousand? Can you imagine what three, five, ten, twenty, one hundred can begin to do? You see, we're changing the way church has been done. God is still changing you and me. He wants to change his whole body. He's trying to reform some things again. But it won't be done just because of a structure, just because of a program. It won't be done just because we have a nice vision process. But we've got to fast and we've got to pray to get the power back in our midst. To get the passion back in our lives. It'll only happen when we get back to God's ways. And I believe that's why it's so important that we start this year with the fast. You've heard me say that Jesus is our model. I believe that to be true. Jesus was not an exception to the rule. I believe he is the model for every believer. It's interesting that, that nobody, nobody had heard of Jesus after his birth for almost 30 years. Think about that. Jesus for 30 years was in obscurity. Now, we all know that God had to have been doing something in those 30 years. Don't you believe that? I mean, he, he was obviously working something out even in his son's life. He was using things to prepare him, to train him, to orchestrate. But truth of the matter is, Jesus, for 30 years, was in obscurity. Jesus had to go get baptized in obedience. And then what's the thing that he does right after his baptism? He goes into an extended fast. It's amazing. He goes into this fast, and who shows up? Everybody to cheer him on, to tell him how great he's doing in the fast? The devil shows up. Can I just give you a hint about tomorrow who's going to show up? 
I know you didn't want to hear that, but truth in advertising again. The enemy's going to show up, and all of a sudden he's in this fast, he's, he's, he's doing obediently what he needs to do before his father, and the devil shows up, whispers in his ear, but he's got enough of the word in him that he knows how to deal with the devil with the word of God. And Jesus begins to move through that fast, we know that to be true, wards off the schemes of the enemy. Now remember, he's still in obscurity. He's not done any of the things that he's noted to do yet in the, in the Gospels. But listen to what happens here in Matthew's Gospel chapter 4 when he comes out of the fast. In Matthew four twenty three, it says this. He's just come out of the fast. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Verse 24, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and what did he do to them? He healed them. Verse 25, great multitudes, thousands and thousands followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And then it goes into chapter 5, which is the greatest message ever delivered called the Sermon on the Mount, which really encapsulizes the solutions to life's problems. In Luke's gospel, it's interesting what Luke writes when he comes out of that same fast in a harmonized account here luke chapter 4 beginning with verse 14 i'm just sowing this into your spirit here it says then jesus returned in the power of the spirit to galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region jump to verse 32 it says they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority verse 37 and the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Verse 38 and 39. I tell you, there's so much power on Jesus after the fast. He's even healing mother-in-laws. It says here that Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Isn't that good news for all the mother-in-laws? It says here in verse 40, the sun were setting and those who had any sick, he laid hands on them, every one of them, and healed them. Verse 41, devils came to him and they came out crying and saying, you are Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them did not even allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. The point I'm trying to make is this, that Jesus, who is our model, comes out of his fast. He's in obscurity before the fast. But as he comes before God and he gets right before God and and, and, and as he's getting everything put in order before God, he comes out in this incredible power and authority and all of a sudden his voice is being heard. He's not just seen, but he's heard. And all of this was the product of his fast, which is taught to us in Isaiah chapter 58. Could you imagine what God could do if a people got serious one more time about doing things God's way, we would no longer just be seen. We'd be heard. I want to remind you of this. This is our fasting assignment and I'm done. The first one is 21 days. You be led as to the type of fast. It has to mean something to you. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it's not going to mean anything to God. 
Number two, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't strut and brag about your fast. Same time, don't act downcast. Come on. This is as unto the Lord. Nobody ought to know you're fasting. Don't go into work. And if everybody's eating something and you're just eating your fast, don't sit there and make a big deal. If anybody, if anybody asks anything about it, you, you, you know how to do that. Lord, most of us have hidden things for so long. You know how to do, you know how to keep things. You don't have to go, I'm fasting, thank you. While the rest of you are gorging yourselves. Gluttons. 21 days of fasting. You've got your reward. Number three, it's not a diet. Come on, I want to break that diet mentality. I know how people think in these things. Well, that's good. I'm going to do the fast. It'll be a good way to cut a few of those holiday pounds off. Listen, this, is, this isn't about cutting those holiday pounds off. You may get a couple of those holiday pounds. But this is about spiritual access. This fast isn't about your waist size or what the scale says. This fast is about getting before the presence of God. Number four, we need to begin to believe God to release power to accomplish the vision. It said here in Isaiah 58 that a right fast is when we get our eyes off ourselves and begin to believe God that he will loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke says that the fast is right when we begin to be concerned about those who have less than we have. When we begin to reach out and we begin to reach those who are maybe downcast, impoverished. He says, if you will do these things, he says, it is at that moment that your obscurity will be broken. It is at that moment that the light shall break into the darkness. So we need to, in a very practical way, begin to pray and fast that God will... That God will use, I believe this is from him, this process, but that God will use it to touch lives. Folks, we got to believe whether you go to encounter or not, you could believe with me that God will set some people free. There's some dysfunction that needs to stop and change. Come on, we need to believe God to pack a facility. Listen, it, it, I'm to the place, it doesn't do, if 10 of you showed up, I'd preach to you this way if 10 of you were here. But could I just share this? If God were to pack the place out, let me tell you, he would grant us the ability to see more lives set free and more people helped. Come on, we need to see the heavens open for signs and wonders and miracles. We need to begin to break the dark spirit that stands over our city. These are things we fast and pray for, not just for what it gets us. And five, I'd encourage you as you enter into this to link your intercession, and even your giving. The Bible says that giving can be linked to fasting as well. I said, the Bible says, and I mentioned this, when you pray, not if you pray. When you fast, not if you fast. When you give, not if you give. And I believe if we were to meld even these things together, God could do some, some amazing and incredible things. Now, last year when I was teaching on the fast for all those weeks, I, I... I told you how we would be challenged in this. I mean, I guarantee you, Monday, Monday, you'll go to work. I'm prophesying to somebody here. You're going to go to work and your boss, who has been stingy all year long, will decide that's the day he's going to take everybody out to lunch. I, I know how this works. You're on a fast and he decides he's taking the office out for lunch. That's how it works. I know how it works. You're, you're, you're going to be somewhere sometime and there's going to be some big, thick, juicy steak thrown right in front of you. 
And you're just going to have to be prepared and ask yourself, is 21 days worth maybe foregoing a steak if that's the kind of fast you're on? Don't worry, from this point forward, every commercial that will come on television (laughs) will be on the Hardy's Thick Burger (laughs) and the Mega Bar and, and things that didn't entice you before. Those Brussels sprouts will begin to look good to you. Lima beans will have a whole new aroma. Listen, 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 listen. What you do in secret God will take note and he will reward you openly. I was reading just the other day, there was a world hunger organization who in order to feed impoverished people would raise money. And in order to raise money, they would give them a t-shirt. And they had this saying on the t-shirt that I thought was really great because it was used in order to help people remember how much of the world's population has nothing to eat. And and, and the t-shirt said this, it said, let it growl, let it growl, I really wanted that t-shirt, I wanted to redeem it, listen to me, there are going to be moments in the next 21 days, King's stomach's going to growl, every growl that comes out of your stomach, I believe is intercession, Every growl that takes place in the depths of your being is is going to be intercession before the Lord. It's going to make a sound before His very presence. There may be millions of people praying to God at that split second, but the the minute there's a stomach that's in the middle of a fast that growls just a little bit, I believe God's ear turns there and says, I hear, I hear one of my serious saints calling out to me. Maybe that's what it means from your innermost being. Groanings and utterings. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Isn't it about time? Isn't it about time that, that, that we stood before the Lord and said, Lord, I want you. More than I want to fill my natural body, I want to be filled with you. I want your ways. I want your perspective. I want your life. It isn't just about a more convenient life. It's about you just being all of my life. I believe God can do some amazing things in these next 21 days. If you'll let him. Like I said, I don't know what he's going to... I'm not going to come check on you. Don't you all be nosing into each other. But you do. You do what God says to do in these 21 days. I believe I'm going to get emails. Can we agree together? People are going to send me emails saying, Pastor, I can't believe it. God's doing this. That, that they're going to drop notes. We're going to have praise reports. There's going to be breakthroughs. We're going to keep teaching on this. There's going to be some amazing things God's going to do. Amen? Let's stand right now, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You don't call us to anything that you do not pour forth of your grace to enable us to do and complete. And Lord, I pray today for legacy as a body. I know many people, many churches, at the beginning of this year are entering into fasts.
I know there's a movement, a 21-day fasting movement. And Lord, sure, we're linking up with all of those who are fasting before the Lord. Because we need things beyond our local church needs or our personal needs. Lord, our nation needs revival. Our state still needs healing and wholeness. Our region needs to be reached and reformed. And, and Lord, you're not going to send another team to do it. We're, we're it. We're the church. We are the light of the world. And, and Lord, if it's going to happen, it's got to happen through us. And, and we tell you right now, we, we don't feel adequate or even able to do that. But Lord, I believe that in these next 21 days, you can do some amazing, supernatural, miraculous things in people's lives. Lord, I pray right now that you would give people specific direction as to the fast they were entering. I believe some had an idea of what it is that, Lord, they were to do and maybe you've even adjusted those ideas this morning. Lord, help us not to look for the lowest common denominator. Help us to hear your voice and maybe for the first time in our lives to step up spiritually into something new and different. Even as as Pastor Tracy said, if we want something different, we're going to have to do something different. If we want it the way it's always been, we can just keep doing what we've always done. But Lord, I believe you're calling some folks up. And nobody will ever know except you, oh God. They don't have to impress me. They don't have to impress anyone else. Lord, we're trying our best to solicit your attention. We want you to look and to be pleased. Lord, I pray right now for those for 2010 that will be going through encounters. Lord, I pray that there would be a new anointing and a new power to come to encounter. That you would release the bondages of people. That you would set them free. That you would open blind eyes. That you would cause blind spots to come into the light, I pray in Jesus' name. That, Lord, they would enter into true repentance. That the power of the cross would once again be established in their life. And that nothing, no sin, no mistake... Nothing, Lord, could overshadow what it is that's going on in their life, but the cross would address it all. We pray, Lord, that you would send us even more, Lord, that need freedom, that need to hear good news. Lord, I pray right now for world shakers. I pray for housewives and moms. I pray for dads who are punching clocks 8 to 5 who don't feel much like a nation shaker right now. But Lord, I pray that out of obscurity you would raise up nation changers. Lord, let us have the spirit of Gideon even when the angel came to Gideon. And the angel said, Almighty oh, man of valor. And he said, Who me? He couldn't even see it in himself. And I believe there are people here this morning who couldn't even see it in themselves. But my voice, I believe, could be even as that of an angel that says, Almighty oh, man, Almighty oh, woman, you who are just stomping out grapes in a wine press in the house of Midian, God's calling you to be the leader of an army. Are you willing to take the journey? Hallelujah. Lord, put that in us today, that new resiliency and tenacity and fortitude 
I'm praying, Lord, that the heavens open up over this congregation. And that, Lord, let us be known, let us be known as, as serious, passionate disciples of Jesus. Lord, I believe you're doing that right now. We accept the mandate. We accept the call. We accept the commission in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to ask this one. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. It's the first of the year. I feel like this is the Lord. There are some of you right now who have never given your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never, you've never had a moment where you specifically said, yes, I want, I want to go through the door. I want my relationship with God to be established. And I need to open up my heart to get things right. And it needs to start with accepting Jesus. There are some of you that have never done that, and you need to do that this morning. The Bible says that if you'll do that before men, that God will confess and rejoice before men. But it says that if you'll hide and, and try to be secretive, the Lord says, I, I, I'll deny you. You see, He wants people who are unashamed of Him. I'm unashamed of the gospel. So some of you here perhaps have never done that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to come down, and I'm going to pray with you before we go this morning. There's some of you here. You ended 2009, and to be candid, things weren't right. You might have had a relationship with the Lord, but somewhere along the way it got twisted and muddled, and you got to get things right for 2010. I'm not here to argue the doctrine of it all. I'm just here to get everybody who needs started right in 2010 the opportunity to do that this morning. So on the count of three, I want you to forget about who's next to you. Don't you worry. If you're the only one, it's all right. God will honor courage and will rejoice with you. I got a feeling there are several that could probably come right now. But you're just saying, Lord, I'm going to get things right. I'm going to get sins that I've been hiding under the blood. I'm going to get my life back in order. I'm going to make my commitments that I need to make. I'm going to get this thing called life pointed in the right direction and that's to you so on the count of three I want you don't don't think about it anymore just come just come one two come three just do it
drop my net and to follow you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart He was raised from the dead to raise me up out of the obscurity into His life. Lord, help me no longer be a part of the problem. But now with you, I can be a part of the solution. I desire that. I receive you into my life. Take hold. And I am renewed and changed and transformed. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody say amen. So be it. awesome things in people's lives these next 21 days. Lord, I know you can do it every day of every month of every year of our life. But Lord, we're focusing on these 21 days that we could we could bring something before you that would cause you, Lord, to be moved in an exceptional way. Lord, I thank you for legacy. I thank you for these people. I thank you for those that came forward, Lord. Courageous, wonderful, sweet people that you have got such purpose and destiny for. 
Lord, I pray that especially for them, you would do something amazing. That they could say, wow, look what God has done. And Lord, for those of us that are a part of the tribe, we just ask that 2010, Lord, might be that year that we see you eclipse yourself even again. That the work in the latter would be greater than the former. And that you would do something that we would just be amazed at. There have been times, Lord, I've said, you couldn't top yourself. But Lord, you always eclipse yourself. Do it in 2010. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to do it in people's lives. How many of you right now are believing God to do something over the top? Come on, amazing. Exceptional. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I'm all for that in 2010. You'd be blessed. You have a wonderful day. I believe it's going to be the greatest year of your life. Come on, believe that. The greatest year of your life starts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. You're released. Love each other. Shake hands. Hug next. God bless you. I hope to see you in the middle of the week.